Welcome everybody, Parashat Va'era. Recording in progress. I'd like to dedicate our learning today to Lelui Nishmat, Yehuda Ben Harav, Avram, Shlomo, Verachel, Alab HaShalom. Um, he passed last week uh, during the time that we would normally study, so let's study today to elevate his Neshama. We're in the Shloshim of his passing. Um, he was Dr. Gerald Rosenfeld, very, very special man, and my sister's father-in-law. Um, I'd also like to dedicate our class for the continued health of my mom, Yafa Esther Batrachel. Um, let's read one Perek um, Tehillim also. We really want to pray for the safe return and speedy return of those who are still held hostage. If you'll notice, I'm wearing a number 96. I had seen a video of the mom of one of the hostages, and she asked that we wear the number of the day that we're still in so that we could remind ourselves and keep their uh, plight in, our, in the forefront of our memories, and we could continue to pray for them and she said that just knowing that we are all in this with her would just lift the pain, uh, even if it's a molecule. Um, and so today is day 96, and let's hope that this is the last day that there are families that are uh, not reunited with their loved ones. Um, I'm going to read Perek uh, 121. Shir la ma'alot esa heharim. chose that particular Tehillim, may these words reach the recesses of the hearts of those who are captured to know that they are not alone, that Hashem is with them, and God willing, we will be able to see their safe return. Um, of course, let's pray for the healing, emotional and physical of anybody who's in a state of pain or harm. And with that, we go into Parashat Va'era. We jump from one furnace into the other. At this point, B'nai Israel is still in Mitzrayim. And since we weren't able last week uh, to learn together Parashat Shemot, I'd like to learn it together with Parashat Va'era. And I'd like to maybe start to see what's taking place at the beginning of this new Sefer, if, parash, if Sefer Bereshit was about creation, then I'd like to suggest that Sefer Shemot starts with a decreation. We're going to break things up before they get put back together again. I'll start just with the introduction of uh, Sefer Shemot, we start with the families that come down to Mitzrayim. We say, Ish u'betobau. I'd like to suggest that it, of course, it means that each man came with his family, but they also came with their heritage, u'beto, with their bayits, and they came also with all of their variations. And every single tribe, and we're going to see with their own different colors and the different names and the different signs and the different blessings that they had gotten at the end of Parashat Bereshit, Ish u'betobao, they came together as one if we were trying to achieve anything in Sefer Bereshit, it was this idea that all of the families, that all of the brothers would be able to unite. And here it seems that we start Sefer Shemot with this idea that when they came to Mitzrayim, this Shiv'im Nefesh that came to Mitzrayim, they were united, they were together, and no sooner 
is there this sense of possible relief? We read the words about Paru Vayishritsu, they become plentiful. And unfortunately, we also had in the beginning of Sefer Shemot, a reality of the host countries when we are in exile. And the reality is that no matter what we do, no matter what we contribute to the sciences, to medicine, to philosophy, literature, whatever technology, uh, morality, we bring so much to our host countries, but the time comes where they start to say, that we are Rav Ve'atsum, and they create this phobia, uh, phobia about the Jewish people, that we are Rav Ve'atsum Mimenu, not only are we greater in number than them, but Mimenu, the word Mimenu to me is so chilling because it means that what the Egyptians are telling the masses is that the um, privilege and the success that the Jewish people has is mimenu, is from us. They took it from us. So when you go and you plunder, you're just taking back what's yours. And we are painted in this uh, sort of light and we are very quickly nameless people. We start out as hine am Israel. But right away, it's Hava nitchakema lo, pen venosaf gam hu. We just become people that are nameless. They take away our names because it's very hard to throw the babies of a human in the yeor. But if we're nameless, if we don't have value, if we don't have worth, if we're not human, then they can carry out the atrocities that they want to carry out. And they use the words, They know that we have chokhmah. They know that we reached this position in the first place because Yosef was the chacham venavon. When Yosef interpreted Paro's dreams and gave him a solution to save the entire Mesopotamian region, the entire Fertile Crescent, everything, the world, the epicenter of the world was saved by Yosef's genius to save up for the years of famine, let's take that chokhmah now and use it against them. Let's outsmart them. They think they're so smart. Let's outsmart them. Why? Because if there should happen to be a war, they may, and again, this is part of the propaganda, part of the rhetoric is to create a panic in the people that if we don't kill them, it's us or them. And if we don't destroy them, they will destroy us. And so they spell it out. They say, if there happens to be a war, they might join up with our enemies and fight us. And then either we or they, both are problematic, will be sent out from the land. And I said this in the Shabbat class, the Jewish problem is you can't live with us and you can't live without us. The hatred is so strong that you want to be done with us. But at the same time, you know that the economy and the uh, um, technology and medicine, everything that we bring will diminish your country. We know every country that the Jews have been exiled from have fallen to pieces and turned to dust or have declined substantially after the Jewish presence has been um, exiled. So there, this Allah min ha'aretz, I don't know if it means that they were concerned that we might leave, that's why they want to keep us as slaves, or if they try to tell the people, you know what, this country is not going to be yours anymore. Enemies are going to come in and you're going to be thrown out. Either way, and we had discussed how it's possible that the first Pad'o that did bring in Yosef was part of a group of shepherd kings. He was actually an outsider. Many shepherds used to come to that Fertile Crescent area because it was so lush and overtake and uh, govern and be pharaohs even though they weren't pure blue blood Egyptians. 
and the explanation, and there's a lot of documentation on this, is that that might be why the first Pharaoh brought in Yosef, another outsider. Because what's going to make an outsider's uh, dynasty even stronger? How's he going to have a stronghold on his uh, royal seat is if you bring in another outsider. And that's why he was so quick to bring in Yosef Ha'ivri. All of this is just part of the uh, foundations. At this point, we are and have been, they tax us. That's the first thing that they do. They put saremisim, they put uh, captains to collect taxes. It's always first a financial burden. And then they ultimately end up enslaving us. And we have the stories of Shifra and Pua, beautiful commentaries that say they're actually Midiam and Yochevet. Also beautiful commentaries say that they were Egyptian midwives and they represent the Tzidke Umot HaOlam, the people in the world who are righteous and they are righteous people. We're going to take all of this and bring it into this week's perashah. It says, They went out of their way. They didn't just not kill the children. If the child was having an issue, they did whatever they could to keep the child alive. And God gives them as a gift, batim. He builds for them houses. And we start to see that a lot of what was taking place in Bereshit is now going to come to visit us in Parashat Shemot, but in a much different way. And it starts with the um, daughter of Levi and the Ish Levi coming together. I'll just go through that quickly because we have a lot to cover today, but I didn't want to leave out Parashat Shemot. When it says that the Ish Levi takes the Bat Levi and she becomes pregnant, and she gives birth, and she sees kitovhu, the language is very similar to the language that had been used with chava. She's vatahad ha'isha, vateled. She's also vatere, and she's also vatikach. All of these verbs are used to describe chava. So if we're going to talk about a recreation, if Sefer Bereshit is about the creation of the world. Sefer Shemot is going to be, in some fashion, a recreation. And in this recreation, we're not just going to recreate and replay the Chava story, where she's going to give birth to a child who becomes the Ro'etzon. So we start to say if Chava lost her child, if Chava lost Cain, who was the Ro'etzon, now here on some level, we have this uh, woman who's coming. She's not just re- birthing the Redeemer for her generation, but she's redeeming previous generations. She's redeeming even as far back as Cain, a son who required redemption, who never got a chance. But that's not the only thing. We also see these themes that are uh, hovering above us. We have this uh, Jewish woman whose child is being raised by the Egyptian princess. And so it also conjures up the imagery of Sarah and Hagad and how the two of them together were intended to raise this one child. The one child they were intended to raise had been Yishmael, that goes awry. And it's very beautiful to see that here the birth mother is the Jewish mother, and the one who's going to raise the child is the Egyptian princess. Just to fill in a blank, many of the commentaries say that Hagad was Pharaoh's daughter. She was an Egyptian princess, and she chose to be a maidservant or a shivcha in the family of Abraham rather than a princess when she saw all the miracles that Hashem did for Abraham and Sarah, and she saw the way that they conducted themselves. So if we went along with that understanding, and the text does support, she's uh, Hagad, she's the Mitzrit, and after she is sent away, she goes back. She takes four Yishmael 
a wife from Mitzrayim. So we do, we do have a lot of this um, ideas that we have a retake of Hagad, we have a retake of Sarah, we have a lot of this stuff happening, but the stage and the landscaping is going to look somewhat differently. I'm gonna. I'm just glossing over a few of the elements from last week because I really want to bring them into this week, and I don't want you to miss them. Uh, Moshe does grow up, and here's where we start to sense this. I don't know if the word is dichotomy. Um, this one coin that has two sides, maybe this idea of um, opposites coexisting. What I mean by that is we start to see it with Moshe. He goes out to see his brothers, and we're not sure if his brothers are the Egyptians or his brothers are the Jews. So this one Moshe has an Egyptian mother and a Jewish mother, and it's uh, supported by the text because it says, He is a son to the daughter of Paro. And we know he's a son to the daughter of Levi. So this is one person who's living two identities, we'll call it. But this theme seems to uh, constantly repeat itself. Most specifically, we're going to see it with the snare. We're going to see this live tree that is existing simultaneously with this fire, Belabat Ish. So usually, or you have a fire, or you have the wood. You, the time that they could spend together is very, very fleeting because one burns out the other. The fire usually burns out the tree. And I think what Seb Ishimot is doing is it's beckoning us and asking us to start to hold two ideas, two realities, sometimes conflicting, sometimes polar opposite, to hold them both in our hands at the same time, which is something that's very difficult for physical, rational thinking people. As thinking people, either it makes sense or it doesn't. I can't have both. I can't have something that doesn't make sense at the same time that I am a logical person. So we're being asked now, and this is, I think, part of the message that's uh, being given to us, and the only way to accept that is to also accept that there's more to the world than what we see. It's an introduction to faith, because if it's logic, then it isn't faith. You don't require emunah. You don't require belief if something is proof positive. And so all of a sudden now we have all of these ideas swirling around. And even when God calls to Moshe, he calls him and he says, Moshe, Moshe. And why does he have to call his name twice? Because we start to understand there are two Moshe's at play here. The two Moshe's have to become one. The Moshe that was born in the palace has to become the Moshe that's the Ben Levi. The Moshe that's the prince has to become one with the Moshe that sees the plight of the people in slavery. The Moshe who's the physical man, Ha'ish Moshe, is going to have to become Ish Ha'elohim. So there are so many things, and this is, I say this a lot, I just want to pause and say, that four out of the five Humashim are spotlighting Moshe, and it's not just because we need to be uh, understanding in depth the life of Moshe, it's because Moshe is the prototype for every one of us. Every one of us is going to experience on some level this uh, journey that Moshe goes through. And so as we start to see this uh, story of the burning bush, we also start to say, we, we keep going back to this idea that two things very possibly opposing are able to exist simultaneously. And some of the beautiful commentaries about the burning bush, we'll call it, 
is either maybe God is the fire and he is inside the bush. If the bush is that Kur HaBarzel, is the uh, um, iron gate that is Mitzrayim, maybe God is trying to show us, I am in the, I am with you. We heard this a lot right after October 7th, that a lot of the rabbis gave us this to hold on to that we are not alone, Hashem has not abandoned us, that Hashem is with us, even in the place that is most uh, dark, even as we just read in the uh, Tehillim. Whatever, we, where we are, Hashem is, even if we're in the Getzalmavet, Gam ki elech begetzalmavet, even if we go... Um, even if we go in the deepest of darkest of places, we need to hold on to the idea that God is even with us in those spaces. And, you know, for years we read about the Mitzrayim experience, and I don't know that we processed what a, I know we always understood it was something horrible and inhumane and horrific and we have the Holocaust to sort of identify with what it might have been like in Egypt, but the idea, and just add to these thoughts now that we, in our own day, in our own time, are seeing how uh, uh, the behavior of, of societies could be so subhuman, we... we we learned it and we knew it, but I don't know if we actually felt the pain of taking a live baby and drowning it in the Nile. It's something we, I, I, again, it's something we read about and we hear about, but it's so far away from anything we could associate with that maybe it's, you know, they say they used babies as bricks and we just keep going. But the the idea that, people could do these horrible things is maybe hitting home, especially today that we're seeing such atrocities take place. And God is saying something in this story. And in this story, he's saying, I'm going to give it to you now as we uh, continue. But he's when Moshe says, I can't be the one to be the redeemer. Hashem tells him what he's telling us. Ki I will be with you. I am always with you. If you recognize and you believe that I am with you, then you will be not only able to overcome, not only will you be able to survive, you're going to eventually thrive because you're not in this alone. And we have those famous words, these are words that God tells to Moshe. He's saying, the same way I was with Abraham, the same way I was with um, Yitzchak, with Yaakov. I still am, I will continue to be with all of you the same way I was with them. I am a constant. I don't change, and for us today, it's so important because the way he was with them back then, he is with us today, here and now. And he says exactly these words. He says, I am Elohe Avraham, Elohe Yitzchak, Elohe Yaakov, Zeshmi Le'olam, Zechri Le'dor Vador. These words have to be part of our belief system every day. I don't care if it was millennia ago or it was yesterday. With Hashem, there is no, the, the timeline, Avar, Hoveh, and Yehiyeh is all one. And this is what we are going to be experiencing, God willing, now in our time. This pakot pakadeti etchem, et ha'asui lachem. We have to go on and say, you know what? Hashem is a God who's poked who is able to break the realities and the laws of nature. He's able to bring things to being that we never could have otherwise fathomed. And all of this is right here in, we're still in Parashat Shemot. And he's telling us, I'm going to take you to an Eretz Zavat Chalav Udvash. This promise, I will say this again and again, 
It's not a one and done. It's not a one-time deal. What Hashem makes a promise, it is chai vekayam. His promise is alive and his promise will continually be fulfilled. So we need to hold on to all of these words. Now, by the end of last week's perasha, when Moshe begs Hashem and says, please, Hashem, lo manuchi. I'm not a man of words. I'm not a man who's capable of delivering words. Whether he's saying it that he is, uh, uh, has a speech impediment or whether he's saying that he doesn't have the courage or the, the, um, the fortitude to stand in front of Paro, whatever it is that he is saying, the Torah is telling every one of us, it's recording it in this way, because it's saying that the Ishtivarim, that the thing that you think you aren't, the task that you think you can't fulfill, the road that you think you can't cross, if and when you have the courage to try and cross it, that's where you're going to find your greatest self. That's where you're going to be using your greatest potential. Ish Devarim, really, Moshe? You wrote the book called the Devarim. Of course you're an Ish Devarim. But we have sometimes uh, limitations. We have, we're human beings. We have those thoughts in our heads that maybe stop us. And maybe we have what's called too much weight on the side of logic and on the side of reality, which means when we weigh whether or not we could accomplish something, we allow the side that's too practical to weigh in. And God is saying, you need to put me on your scale. You need to weigh in the side that has pakod, that has this uh, uh, suspending of the laws of the limitations of nature. If you do that, then you're going to write a book called Devarim. Forget, and you're going to be the greatest spokesman that ever lived. And as we go through, he has setbacks. And it's okay to take two steps forward and one step back. He heads to Egypt, and he finally gets there after a lot of drama. And instead of making things better, he ends up making things worse. And that's where we find ourselves today, where Moshe, at the end of this week, says, Really, God, you sent me, and I failed, and I failed miserably. Because now not only are they not going to allow the people to take their three-day uh, trek into the desert to serve you, now they still have to make the same number of bricks and the straw is not going to be provided for them. They have to provide their own straw. So I really just made matters worse. And at the end of last week's perasha, Hashem tells Moshe, Just wait, you will see what I'm going to do to Paro, because I am going to beyad chazaka yeshalchem, ubeyad chazaka yegarshem me'artso. These are the, this is the segue for today's class. God uses two very special words in describing how we're going to leave Egypt. And he uses the words, Yeshalchem and Yegarshem. Where have we seen these two words together in the same verse? When we left Gan Eden, God sent us out and he chased us out. And if he's sending us and chasing us out of Mitzrayim, it means that it's not where is he sending us from, it's where are we going towards. So if we left a utopia with these words, then these words are going to pave the way back to our uh, utopia, which in, in this case is going to be described as Eretz Israel, as the land of our forefathers. And so with that tiny introduction, we're going to start today's parashat va'era. And this starts with a va'idaber Elohim el Moshe va'yomer elav ani Hashem. This is a whole class in and of itself, but since we don't have time, I'll just point out the discrepancies in this eight-word verse. Va'idaber Elohim is a very unusual combination of words. Vaidaber and Elohim only appear in all of Torah, possibly in all of Tanakh, 
three times. It first appears after the flood with Noah. Vaidaber Elohim. Elohim speaks to Noah and tells him, It's time to start the new world. This is all part of that story because the second time it's used is right here. Vaidaber Elohim El Moshe. We never see this Vaidaber Elohim combination. And maybe I should take a second and speak to why. We know that Elohim is the God of creation. Elohim is the exclusive creator of the world. It's not until the name Yudke Vavke comes along that man is involved in continuing the world that God created. But when we see the word Vaidabed, the first place it ever appears is in this reference with Noah, where he tells him in chapter 8, verse 15 in Bereshit, when he tells him, Tse min hateva, What's taking place is that Elohim, the one that we would have thought was the sole creator of the world, is now doing this thing called Vaidaber, which I often suggest means dialogue. Vaidaber requires two people. It requires the speaker and the listener. It's eliciting a response Whereas Vayomid, which we have in our Pasuk, is a monologue, Vaidaber is a dialogue. So when we're going to start now, Parashat Vaera, we're going to start, like I said at the burning bush, we're going to start with two opposites. I'm going to have Vaidaber, I'm going to have a dialogue, and who's doing the dialogue? Elohim, which is very unusual because Elohim operates on an exclusive plane. So I have the God who's exclusively the creator having a conversation and having a dialogue. Those two things are worlds apart. Two people speaking and monologue are two different pages completely, but I have them here together because what God is saying again and again, we're gonna see it even stronger as we move on, is that these two things, the way light and darkness, says God, the way I created my world the first time, is I created vayhi erev vayiboker yom echad. I created darkness and light in one day. And so in my recreating of the world, I'm going to use language that shouldn't go together. Light should be in one section, dark should be in the other section. They can't be together. If they're together, they're not light and they're not dark. And Vaitaber and Elohim shouldn't go together because one is exclusive and one is inclusive. Those two shouldn't go together, but yet I'm using them here because I'm going to use the same language I used with Noah when I wanted to start a whole new world. And I'm going to use this same, the last time I that these two words appear together, Vaidaber Elohim, happens to be with the introduction to the Ten Commandments. In Shemot, Perek 20, verse 1, it's Vaidaber Elohim. And that's it, because there too, we are starting an entirely new relationship with God, where there is a contract, where God is going to delineate what he expects of us, and we are going to enter into a relationship with him based on these expectations. So when we read these words, Vaitaber Elohim, we should say right away, sit up straight, something new is happening. There's a new dy- dynamic taking place. And it says, Vayomer Elav. So we switched from Vaitaber to Vayomer, and he tells him, Ani Hashem. So all of these opposites, Vaidaber and Vayomer, Elohim and Hashem, they're all coexisting very happily in one pasuk, because this is exactly what God wants. He wants us now to broaden our uh, perspective and be able to hold these multiple concepts at the same time. I'll be a little bit more... uh, um, I'll explain it maybe a little better. Um, 
first thing I want to do is I'm going to fast forward a little bit and I'm going to tell you that in Perek 6, in this same Perek, verse 14, God is going to write for us in Parashat Va'era, it's going to describe the Rasheh Bet Avotam. It's going to talk about the children of Reuven, and then the children of Shimon, and then the children of Levi. It's going to go into Kehat, Amram, and Moshe. I'm only introducing this to you here. I'm going to hopefully come back to it if we have time. I want to say that a lot of what's taking place in Parashat Va'era is going to revolve around the sevens. What do I mean by that? We already were introduced to the idea of Avraham, Yitzchak, and Yaakov. And if we count the number of generations from Avraham to Moshe, you already know the answer, or I wouldn't be bringing it up. You have Avraham, Yitzchak, Yaakov, Levi, Kehat, Amram, Moshe. We have seven generations from Avraham to Moshe. We have a complete cycle. So if the Jewish people started with Avraham, the Jewish nation is starting now in this generation with Moshe. But what's so interesting is that's not the only seven that's taking place. And of course, the easy one is we have in our Perashah the first seven plagues, which also hopefully we'll talk about in a little bit. But what's to me most interesting is the name of our perashah va'era, vav alef, resh alef. Guess what? Our perashah, chapter 6, verse 3, where you see va'era l'Abraham el Yitzchak ve'el Yaakov, that happens to also be the seventh va'era in Torah. I... I don't like to play with numbers normally, and I'm not a gematria person normally, but some things are too glaring to sort of dismiss. I'm going to quickly take you through the previous six va'eras so that we understand when God says, va'era el Abraham, el Yitzchak ve'el Yaakov, so that we understand what he means by that. He doesn't just mean I appeared to them, and so too I am appearing to you. That's not what's happening here. Torah is intended to be read collectively. We have to read all the va'eras. We have to hear all the va'eras, the six that preceded this one, to understand how this is a culmination of the previous six. So if the first va'era is takes place actually before Hashem is going to destroy Sedom. If you're following in Yehumashim, you can go to chapter 18, verse 21. If we're going to start to say that all the Va'eras are closely knit and connected, then we're going to say in verse 21, I was making a little small talk so that you could peruse the Pesukim and get a sense of the context. This is the place where God is telling Abraham that he's going to destroy Sedom. And so God says in verse 21, Erdana va'ere'eh. I'm going to go down and I am going to va'ere. So we know it's not, he's not just going to go down and see and video and record and visualize. There's an intellectual awareness that's taking place with this va'ere. And he's going to say, Is it as terrible as the, as the screams that are coming to me? If they are, then kala, then I'm going to destroy. So right away, when we see this va'era in our perasha, we should say to ourselves, God is capable of destroying evil. God is capable of uh, completely eradicating evil. The way he eradicated Sedom and Amorah, so too, before we even read another word, 
God is saying, I'm going to eradicate this evil. And Moshe needs to hear this because his first attempt where he thought he failed miserably, he needs to know that at the end game, Hashem has eradicated evil and will continually do that. But at the same time, in this word va'era, we're going to have, again, two sides of one coin. We're going to have the suffering, the tse'aka, the crying and the misery on the one side of the coin. And then we're going to have God's compassion on the other side of the coin. So just because there's one doesn't mean that we can't have the other. We must have the compassion of God when there is total evil on the part of man. Let me give you a few more so we could start to understand what this va'era actually means. The next time that we see this word, uh, these four letters together, is in chapter 31, verse 10, which is page 162 if you're in this book. I'll find it quickly. Chapter 31, verse 10, a very unlikely place to see it. Again, if you do a little... Uh, context reading at this point. Yaakov is a shepherd for Lavan, and they made this crazy deal that either the spotted and speckled are going to be Yaakov's or the solid color sheep are going to be Yaakov's. And then Yaakov has this crazy dream where he's able to see, and this is back to our same idea of a dichotomy, He's able to see that the spotted and the plain, which never the twain shall meet, that's why Lavan made that plan with, made that deal with Yaakov, either you get the spotted or you get the plain, because we know that those two don't meet. But yet in his dream, Vahi Ba'et, and I saw, Va'esa enai va'ere bachalom, I saw in a dream, and all of a sudden, the atudim were olim al hatson akudim nikudim uberudim. It didn't make sense what he was seeing in his dream, but that's not the only thing. It's not just to tell us that the va'era is showing that opposing uh, units can come together. It's really telling us that in the next verse, God appears to him. And says, Anochi Ha'el Bet El, I am the one who's the God who saw you from Bet El. It's time for you to come home. So when we see this Va'era, what is Moshe hearing? He's hearing the Va'era that God saw the suffering in Sedom. He's hearing the va'era that Yaakov was in exile and that he was being cheated and mistreated and God came to him and said, it's time for you to go home. Moshe has to hear all this at the same time, all the va'eras at once. And I'll just pause and say, all these va'eras, as much as they're for Moshe, they're for us. So we have to understand and believe that in the suffering, God has compassion. In the exile, God is the redeemer. The next one we see are the Shibolim in Paro's dream in chapter 41, verse 22. It's on page 224, if you're in the same Humash as me, the stone edition. But I'll just take us there quickly. And he's now telling his dream. And he's telling it to Yosef. And he says... And here there were seven shibolim, olot bekane echad. There's these seven grains coming up united in one, and they are beautiful and healthy. And then seven shibolim, they were dakot and, and uh, scrawny and uh, unappealing. Shedufot kadim, the wind swept, and they grow up after them. And we normally read this, that the skinny ones follow, swallow the fat ones. And we say that you couldn't see, it had said it about the cows, but we assume that you couldn't see 
the fat ones anymore. And maybe for today, when Moshe is hearing this va'era, he's also hearing at the same time that the fat cows and the skinny cows are one. Again, two opposing beautiful cows, horrible cows. Doesn't matter. They're coming up in one. And when they swallow each other, you can't tell which was the fat and which was the skinny because they are all one. There's going to be, and Moshe, this is not going to be lost on him. He's going to understand that part of this va'era, part of this redemption process, part of God having compassion and taking us out of exile is going to require that we be a kane echad. If ever we understood that it's these last couple of months is we need to all stay together. We all need to strengthen each other. And the next one is in verse 28, chapter 45, where um, Yaakov hears that Yosef, his, his son, is still alive. And he says the famous line, um, I'm going to give you a page now if you're in the same thing. This va'era ve'erenu. What is he saying? First of all, the words chai, Yosef beni chai, and beterem amut. Life and death. What is Yaakov saying? I want to see Yosef while I am still alive. Excuse me, before I die. I want to see Yosef alive before I die. What is he really saying? He's really saying, I want both of us to be alive at the same time. If he is still alive, I want to be alive with him, which means this va'era, ve'erenu, is going to allow multiple generations to live at the same time. In our reference, it's a father and a son. But Hashem, when he's telling this to Moshe, va'era, he's saying the same way that I was able to allow Yaakov to experience the life of Yosef. And who's Yosef? Yosef is a person that we tore our coat for, sat shiva for, put ashes on our head, and turned our hair white for. El But still, va'era means that even that which you thought was never going to be able to be seen again. That which you thought was impossible, please Hashem, do what you did for Yosef who was taken captive and you allowed for his father to see him in his lifetime and not just see him, but see him in all his glory and see him in a place of uh, majesty. This is These things don't just happen in the natural world but they happened with Yosef. And that's why even though it's day 96, with Yosef it was 22 years, even though it's something that Yaakov may have lost hope for at this point, how, how, much, how long could hope stay alive for him? But God is saying to Moshe, the way I revived the hope for a father who thought he'd never see his son again, I'm going to, I can do these things. And we read this and we believe it. Because if we don't read this and we don't believe that, then God is saying, you're not activating me. We need to activate this part of God that makes these promises for us. And the next one is the famous one, the last week's parashah. In Shemot, chapter 3, verse 3, we're going to see this concept again, this Ed'eh, uh, and this is going to start the entire chain of redemption rolling. Chapter 3, verse 3, 
ויירא, and he sees, והנה הסנה בועד באש, we'd have the wrong, והסנה איננו, oh yeah, I'm sorry, it's verse, I was reading verse two, ויאמר משה, משה says, אסורנה, I have to change the way I see things. We have to change the way we see things. We need to stop seeing things as we expect them to be. We have to start seeing things as we wish they would be, as we hope they would be. That has to be our reality. Not the practicality, not the probability, but the hope and the wish and the dream Moshe said, I have to start seeing things differently. Asurana. et hagadol I have to see this fantastical vision, this fantastical image. What is he telling every one of us? Right before our eyes, there could be something like a burning bush. And we could either dismiss it. This bush could have been burning for years and maybe nobody even paid attention to it. But what Moshe is saying, I need to see this mare hagadol. I need to understand. I need to try and process. Why is the wood not being consumed? Why is it not turning to ashes? Does he have the answer? Does he figure it out? No. But what's the most important part of Moshe's story? It's not for us to figure out the answers. I don't know how God creates a situation where there's a fire in a bush and the fire doesn't consume the bush. I don't get it. I don't know it. I don't understand it. Neither does Moshe. But just accepting and contemplating these ideas You know what happens when we do that? When we accept that things don't have to make sense to me in the world because I know that God's in the world and they make sense to him and he makes them that way and he makes things that don't make sense. Well, guess what? The minute he asks that question, God just had to see that he was contemplating, that he was considering that he was engaged and thinking, and what happens? So God calls him from the snare. Maybe God was the fire in the snare. I don't know, but he does say, Moshe, Moshe. God calls to us when we decide that we just want to even acknowledge that two opposite units, I I don't even have the word in my vocabulary, that two things that never should coexist are coexisting. And what is God saying? Yeah, guess what? The spiritual and the physical, you wouldn't think that they'd be in the same place or in the same space. But Moshe, Moshe, look at yourself. You're a human being and you have a part of you that's spirit. I'm with you. And because I'm inside of you, you're also with me. I'm also going to be part of you and you're going to engage with me and the two of us are going to come together in this. At the last two, I'll just tell you quickly. The next one is in um, chapter 14. I'm sorry, chapter 4, verse 18. I just want to bring them home all together. Once again, Moshe tells Yitro, I need to go back to see Achai that are in Mitzrayim. Ha'odam Chayim. I want to see if my brothers are still alive, which means slavery, a place that somebody could, is very difficult for them to actually survive the experience. And life, ha'odam chayim. I want to see that there could be life and there could be redemption even in this horrible picture called avdut mitzrayim. 
And the last one, of course, is today, and I'll just do that because I had a few other things I wanted to say quickly. I see the clock is ticking. Is today's Va'era, you know what he's saying? Va'era Yaakov. God is finally reminding us of something we knew all along. I appeared to them in the past, and I'm appearing to you now because the promise I made to them and the fulfillment that you're about to experience are one and the same. The promise and the fulfillment of that promise are one whole unit. That's what Va'era is. This is what God is trying to tell us. And in order to reach that place, again, when we see the opposites, we start to see ideas like the creation of the world, where two opposites come together, Oren Choshech, on one day. Or on the second day, you'll have Shamayim and Aretz, or Rakia, or Mayim Elyonim and Mayim Tachtonim. Or you'll have this uh, fish and, and fowl, you'll have birds in the sky, you'll have fish in the water. We're gonna have a lot of these opposite ideas coming together. Even Shabbat itself, a day of refraining from creation, is in and of itself a day of creation. The seventh day is a day of creation because what was created was the lack of creation. There's all of these two separate things coming together in one unit, in one um, idea. And so I think what Parashat Va'era is bringing us to understand is that that's what these plagues are. These plagues, if we had said that God created uh, the world in seven days and he had intended for the human beings to be the authorities over the earth on God's behalf, and when Paro tries to stop all of this creative energy and when he becomes an anti-creator, what's going to happen? God's going to unravel his creation and send it in reverse. And what does that mean? Water is no longer going to bring life. Water is now going to turn to blood. Instead of water being a symbol for life, water is going to be a symbol for death, for instance. And light is going to now return to darkness. These are the plagues. We have life turning into death. We have light turning into darkness. And everywhere the, the fabric of Mitzrayim is now t- completely disintegrating into chaos. We're coming, to, if, you, if you went to Egypt and you uh, sent a journalist in there after the Makot, it looks like Tohu Vavohu. It's a state of chaos. It's a state of uh, becoming completely undone. Every one of the makot is intended, well, maybe I'll quickly take you through the uh, um, first seven makot and show you how each one of them, if the blood takes the water, the dam turns the water into blood, that's undoing day two, where we had the waters and and life, and now we have death. And day five, we had the reptiles. Well, the frogs in the second makkah are going to undo that because we're going to kill the, the reptiles. And the lice um, in the third makkah is going to completely destroy the land, which was created on day six. And also the wild animals were created on day six, and they're going to get destroyed in the fourth makkah. And the disease and the pestilence of all these animals, part of day six as well. Even the boils, you know what boils were? They gave sara'at, they gave a leprosy. Leprosy, a sara'at kemet, a leper is considered like a dead person. That's why he had to go outside the machane, that's why you became tameh if you were to touch him. It undid the literal creation of man as being, man as being uncreated with this leprosy. 
and the hail. The hail destroyed all the vegetation that was created on day three. What God is saying is I am destroying Pharaoh's version and perversion of the world. I'm going to recreate the world. I'm going to recreate my people. I am going to take them as I had promised the forefathers. Now we understand why it's the seven generations. I'm going to take this seventh generation that is Moshe, and I am going to once again turn it into the intent that I had for Abraham. And if I have one more minute, because there's one more sevens, we went through seven generations and through seven va'eras and through seven plagues. There happens to be one more seven, and it happens to be very beautiful if you have time to do this on your own. There are seven appearances of Malach Hashem. The seventh appearance of Malach Hashem, I should say, takes place in the burning bush. The first time we see Malach Hashem is with Hagar. Four times you hear the word Malach Hashem. The next time we come across Malach Hashem, we find him two times, and that's post-Akedah, when Abraham's about to kill his son but doesn't. There God says, Abraham, Abraham, and there he makes the promises to Abraham. And the final time that we have Malach Hashem is in the Sneboed Ba'esh. And I think this starts to show a progression because within the seven generations that we spoke to, we had to eliminate Hagar and Yishmael in order to get from Abraham to Yitzchak. And we had to eliminate Yishmael from Yitzchak in order to get to Yaakov. And we had to eliminate Esav in order to get to Levi. I mean, excuse me, we had to eliminate Esav in order to get to Yaakov, and we had to eliminate Ishmael in order to get to Yitzchak. And we had to eliminate Reuven and Shimon in order to get to Levi, but guess what? Our parasha includes Reuven and Shimon. And much as Yishmael and Esav attempt to worm their way back into the big story. How do they do that? Yishmael marries a Mitzrit. He tries to be part of our story. Yishmaelim are the ones who bring Yosef to Egypt. They're part of the story. Esav marries the daughter of Yishmael. But they become part of the story on the wrong side of history. And two... What happens is that as we go through this entire story where we are sort of um, eliminating the forces that are stopping God's big picture, God's grand picture, we have to remember that the appearances of Malach Hashem, the ones that come to Abraham, it comes to him exactly when he chooses Yitzchak over Yishmael. And he makes him those promises. That same Malach Hashem comes in Mitzrayim. And that Malach Hashem appears every time where a human being has to take an active role in their redemption. Even with Hagad, the angel tells her, you need to go back. You need to go back to Sarah. You need to be under her uh, uh, rulership. You need to act. Also, Abraham, you need to take a, a, a position. You need to take a stance. You need to play a role in your own history. And that's why when we see Malach Hashem here in Mitzrayim, it's saying something very specific, not just to Moshe then, but to all of us today. And that is we want to invite the Malach Hashem, the one who's in the burning bush, the one who's promising that the fulfillment of the promises will be upheld. The one who's saying, I don't care if it looks like death all around you, I guarantee you, I will breathe life into this nation, into your people, and I will take you back to Eretz Yisrael. For the Malach Hashem to be activated, we need to take play a strong role. And for the Va'eras to be activated, for Hashem to once again appear 
and take center stage in the history that we are right now, that's unfolding right before our eyes, the Va'era has to say, I see that sometimes it's almost impossible like for Yaakov to find you that Yosef is still alive. But Va'era means I showed him that his son is alive and I showed you that a fire in a tree could exist and I showed you that the skinny and fat cows could all be together in one uh, a stalk or the wheats could be together in one stalk and I showed you that you can return to the land even when you're in exile, and I showed you in Sedom that evil will be eradicated and my compassion is boundless. And so, if this week, today, we see Va'era bringing the past into our present, bringing Abraham in with Moshe, we have to believe that it's bringing us into our future and that that promise is still alive and that we can and will, God willing, see the fulfillment of that promise. Bimhera, beamenu, amen. I just want to say one last thing. Thank you to everybody. Um, Gail dropped an envelope of very generous donations. Uh, they'll be making their way to Israel soon, God willing. I thank you for your generosity. It's very heartfelt, and um, it's much, much appreciated.